0: Blood
1: Talk Radio. Do you watch Fox News all day? Are you dizzy from conservative spin? Are you a birther or teabagger? You might be suffering from a condition called barachnophobia. If so, the only cure is Liberal Dan Radio. Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Central on Blog Talk Radio. Warning, Liberal Dan Radio is not a substitute for doctor's advice. Severe cases of bractophobia may require psychiatric help. This may prove expensive if Republicans repeal health care. Listening to Liberal Dan Radio may cause you to embrace things like facts, logic, and reason. If these symptoms last for more than four hours, you have been cured. For more information, go to Liberaldan.com. Welcome back to Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left that's right. This is your host, Dan Zimmerman, coming from New Orleans, Louisiana. To join the conversation, it's area code 347-838-8368. That's uh, 347-838-8368. You could also listen to the uh live uh, to the chat room and leave your comments there, or you can connect via Skype from the chat room. Or if you're not listening after if you're listening after live broadcast, uh if you've downloaded the show via iTunes or from the Blog Talk Radio site itself, you could always leave your comments, questions, concerns, etc., cetera, at Liberaldan.com. Uh, lots of stuff to talk about today. I didn't have as much time to prep for the show as I might have liked, so uh, this week we're just going to skip the headline segment, even though there was a couple of interesting ones that I probably would have liked to have made fun of, and I'm going to go directly into the topic of the show, um, which... I'm going to start off with one that should be started off with, which is the presidential election of 2016 and the primaries, both Republican and Democratic primaries, and the results of the New Hampshire primary, which in some ways, you know, people, some things, people weren't surprised, uh, but there are other things that were, where people weren't surprised and we'll see where the campaigns go from here and what, uh, what may help or what may hurt uh, the people, for example, in South Carolina, uh, and how they could uh, fare? Will Donald Trump do well in South Carolina, or will he be hindered uh, by some of his policies or some of his uh, choices that he's made in his uh, in his life previously? Who knows? Um, so, but first, let's start off with the New Hampshire primary on the Republican side, um, you know, there was not a very big surprise as to who won. Uh, Donald Trump uh, was polling very well in New Hampshire, and he was expected to win, and he won. So no big shocker there. And after Marco Rubio's horrific debate uh, appearance over the weekend, uh, I don't think anybody was surprised uh, that he came in fifth uh, of the candidates uh, that are out there now, you know some interesting things have taken place since yesterday um both uh Carly Fiorina and uh Governor Chris Christie have dropped out of the election um I think the I'm not surprised about Carly Fiorina uh her campaign never took off, and all she really had um, in her repertoire was look at what I did at HP and I have to say, I'm using an HP laptop right now and I can't wait to get a new one. So to me at least bragging about, uh, you know, how you turned around HP isn't that great of a thing because this thing is a hunk of junk and I can't wait to get a new one. As I said, so and there is that, and the fact that she wanted to be make everybody very sure that she was going to poke the, that she would poke the bear, that she was going to, you know, put the park the fifth fleet off the coast of Russia, let them know with no uncertain terms that she was not to be trifled with, that if you were going to mess with America, that, that there is going to be a fleet right there in your face, which is not diplomacy by any shape of the imagination. That's not diplomacy at all. Um, that, that That's not how you win friends and influence people. Again, as I said previously on the show, uh, Teddy Roosevelt would say walk softly and carry a big stick. And if you're the president of the United States with our U.S. military, you have quite the big stick. But many of the people on the Republican side don't know how to walk softly or talk softly or be diplomatic in any way, shape, or form. So, and, you know, there are other candidates out there who also felt like it was very important to let other people know that they were going to poke the bear as well so there's no real loss from the stage of possible candidates that you you're not you're not going to see an issue uh that issue go off the table because Carly Fiorina has now exited stage left you will now see other candidates uh, talking about how much they're going to go poke the bear. So no big loss there. And I am a little shocked at Chris Christie uh, that he is out of the race, that he did as, as poorly as he did. Because even though he was the one who attacked Marco Rubio at that stage and who basically said, look, he called a shot." You know, Marco Rubio is saying this 25-second canned rehearsed speech about we know what Barack Obama is doing. Uh, he knows exactly what he's doing. You know, if, if you've paid attention, you know what he said. Um, I don't have to um, repeat it all that much. But the – and I'll get to your question in a second. There was a question in the chat room. Um, he don't have to repeat it seven seven million times like he did. But what was worse was Chris Christie then was able to say, look, he has this 25 canned speech that he's doing. And then instead of thinking on his feet and either thinking of a different way to say it or just saying other things, he was so, he had his blinders on and I've discussed this before too. He had his blinders on and he just knew nothing except to say what he'd been trained to say, which was that can't speech. So, Chris Christie was able to say, "Look, he did it, There he goes again, and it reminded me back of when um Obama was debating McCain back in two thousand and eight, um, and he basically said, and I forget the exact topic that that this is on. I will have to find the audio um I may even have it still on 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 the show on my list of audio. I look for it, but what happened was Barack Obama basically said, "Look, <clears throat> I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this about my policy, and what's gonna happen is John McCain is gonna say this about it." But this is why he's wrong, and he, he then he, in advance, countered Senator McCain's arguments against him. And then when McCain had the opportunity to respond, McCain said exactly what Obama said he would say. And by doing so, he just made himself look like a fool, just like what Marco Rubio did. Now, maybe Marco Rubio was lacking some bottled water. Maybe he needed another another bottle of water. Maybe he was a little bit too thirsty and couldn't think straight during this debate. But anyway, Chris Christie was... About was the one who basically made him made Rubio look like the fool, and but he didn't get any benefit from it. In fact, he he ended worse than Christie. He wound up not getting any delegates to Rubio's three delegates. So, and I guess that's why Christie was saying that fifth or sixth made a big difference. If he finished in fifth, maybe that would mean that he would collect enough some delegates to move on with, but now that he finished sixth with zero delegates. Now he pretty much was out of it. So let's see. User Zeddy. Rubio was affirming his belief in what he thinks about the president. Why would he say something to prove Christie wrong? Chris Christie's an idiot. Well, I'm not going to necessarily argue that Chris Christie's an idiot. Uh, There's been several things that now, you know, I'm not the type of person who is always going to be disagreeable, disagreeing with somebody just just to be disagreeable. You know, there have been times and things that Chris Christie has done in the past that, that, I applauded, like when uh, Chris Christie uh, nominated a, a judge um, in New Jersey, and that judge was a Muslim, and people were criticizing him for doing that, and he basically said, no, that's stupid. I'm going to do this. He's, I'm, I'm, I'm judging it based on his qualifications as a judge. His religion has nothing to do with it. And um, see, is it Chris Christie acts like he knows everything. Well, Chris Christie acts like he eats everything. Uh, but I could say that because I'm a fat guy, too. So um, the so he did that and, and he's right, but then he's done everything else, you know, and a lot of other things that I disagree with wholeheartedly. Um, and you know, one of the things I think of Chris Christie, you know, to describe his Chris Christie campaign, I think he was trying to be too much the prosecutor. Like he was basically trying to say, "Oh, these are my bona fides. I'm a, I'm a prosecutor." I am going to treat this job as if I was a prosecutor, Um, but you don't, you can't, you're not really the prosecutor as a president. Does it, it it, didn't make Chris, it, it made Chris Christie maybe score some points, and and I'm I was a little shocked with some of the debate performances that Chris Christie didn't get more points with conservatives than he did because to me I thought he made some good points as a conservative. If I was a conservative voter, I'd probably look at that and say, hey. Um, and you know, Hey, you know, this guy is saying some good things. Maybe I need to give him more of a listen. Um, but he, and he did, but he didn't get those points. And I think part of it was because he was just trying to be the prosecutor. He was trying to be the guy who was, you know, acting a little over the top. And maybe that just seemed like he was trying a bit too hard. Um, and as a fat guy myself, when I try a bit too hard, I, I, I probably maybe sweat a little bit, and maybe I don't know. Maybe it seems a little maybe it seems a little not genuine on his part. And while sometimes people might question the people um, who are politicians and whether or not any of them are genuine, that, that's probably a decent question to ask. And but that being said. I think maybe his overzealousness on that issue, um, I think probably hurt him more than it helped him. Now, the biggest surprise, though, I think, coming out of New Hampshire, for me, was cases. Um, I think that if I had to look at all of the current candidates for president and say, who would who would I feel as a liberal, as liberal Dan, would do the least harm of all of these guys and who might actually bring some good things to the table where, you know, certain things in the election certain things might be bad in in the comp- in the country when it happens, but certain other things might be good, uh that would be John Casey. And you know, I'm not supporting him by any shape or form, but I think he I think he he is the least scary, I guess, in my in my in my mind. Um, So that was, to me, was the biggest surprise that he was able to come in. I mean, it is a different. It's New Hampshire. i uh, may maybe an Ohio type of person, which Ohio you know, is a swing state. So maybe the governor, a Republican governor of a swing state, uh, may very well be able to find common ground with Republicans in New Hampshire. So maybe it's not as big of a stretch as some might suggest it would be, but he was doing so poorly up until that point in the polls and everything uh, nationwide. And it, it just didn't seem to be, you know, that he had a path anywhere in this election. Now, I mean, he's still behind, he's still behind Cruz. He's still behind Rubio uh, when it comes to the little delicate counts. And he's obviously still behind Trump who's in the lead right now. But that being said, he, he, I think he, he made a solid case that at least, he deserves to be, he deserves a second look from at least conservative camp, from conservative voters who may very well say, All right, well, this guy, you know, resonated with some people, and let's see what uh, else he needs to talk about. Maybe some of these people, maybe the Chris Christie supporters, maybe the um, Carly Fiorino supporters, even maybe maybe those people will come along for the ride and say, all right, we will give this this guy a chance. All right, we do have a caller. Uh, Yes, you are in the queue, and I was just about to go to you. So uh, let's go to Zeddy. Hi, how are you doing today?
0: Hello, how are you?
1: I'm doing great, thank you. Thanks for calling in.
0: Oh, no problem. I was chatting with you in the chat box there that you have on your website. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> I thought it might Thank be you. just easier if we just had a conversation.
1: <laughs> oh, that's, I, and I am more than welcome it. So um, are you more left-leaning or right-leaning? or?
0: Uh, Well, I'm more, I guess, in the middle. I'm an independent.
1: Okay. I'm registered and... with no party, so I'm not necessarily I, – I don't get to – I'm in Louisiana. I don't get to vote in the primary coming up, you know, so I don't have a choice because Louisiana has uh. closed primaries for that, so – I do with no Party, but I am liberal Dan, so there is that. Um, so. <laughs> I was
0: going to say, wait, your website says something else. <laughs> I, 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 I'm
1: not saying that I'm a centrist in any shape or form. I'm just saying I'm not registered for any party. Um, oh. There are some issues where I'm probably more conservative than some of my other liberal friends on, and there are probably some issues where I'm more liberal than some of my liberal friends on. I, I, I think I find a way, I think I find ways to piss off everybody. <laughs> so um mm-hmm. uh, and sometimes that's it's the other way around. And sometimes I find ways to reach across the aisle and find common ground with other people. I prefer the uh-huh. latter. I prefer I prefer finding the common ground with other people. But unfortunately, sometimes it happens to be co the other way around. And people instead of finding wanting to see the similarities, they go, "Oh, there's a difference." Let's, let's let's you know.
0: Right, right. Not be that's nice just that that's guy. A bad thing. Yeah, you know, that's. But what answer me, one of your
1: like, um. But but answer one of your questions earlier on when you said you asked so far Obama. Obama's way hasn't been that successful, wouldn't you agree? So Obama's way, what dealing with Russia? Uh,
0: dealing yes, with everything going on in the Middle East and with Russia, yes, uh huh. Well, I
1: mean, there's, there's, you know, I, I remember, you know, one thing like Obama wanted to be tough on Syria uh, back before you saw the Islamic State forming, you know, back be- you know, back when you were basically dealing with, um. Syria and those human rights issues that were happening over there and Obama wanted to be tougher with them and Congress did not so you know when Congress holds the purse strings for for military actions uh, his hands get tied with that and and a lot of the times when Obama is trying to you know do things but you know Congress won't work with him and, and what's unfortunate is you know we kind of treat our presidents as if they're kings when it comes to their inability to get stuff done, even though we have three branches of government that have checks and balances on them. I think we put we put too much weight on what they're able to do as president um when they if they fail or if they get something wrong or if or if something isn't handled in, in the exact right way. And we don't take the time to go look at Congress and say, well, you know, they have a role here too. You know they're supposed to be working together. I mean, you know the third branch. You know the Supreme Court's only really going to come in if something happens that's really egregious, um, and if they do something that's way out of bounds. But you still have oh, to have that, those other people there. So it's so a lot of the times when Obama gets criticism, one of the one of the first things I do is say, well, is it really totally his fault? or or is are there things that could have been done? in in Congress that would have helped this thing along, but for whatever reason, uh, mostly politics, since we have a conservative branch of Congress, that that make him incapable of doing things. Sure,
0: sure. I mean, technically, the the president only has limited powers, and those limited powers go with the checks and balances, and that's the way our government was structured. Um, But then we have to also consider the fact that a lot of those – I guess requests by Obama to deal with Syria and what happened in Lebanon um, or Libya with Gaddafi and so forth. there were conditions that were Congress was not going to agree to and and that was the only what um the president had said, I want to do this, but with that it's going to be this, this, and this, and Congress said no.' we'll give you this, but we won't give you the other things, because then it's counterproductive. And he said, well, then I don't want it. So Congress said, fine, then you don't get it.
1: (laughs) And it's funny, though, because Um, a lot of the times when I look at what goes on between um, Congress and and this president, a lot of times I see, you know, the president say, okay, well, I want this to happen. And then the Republicans say, no, but how about this? And it's just completely their side, and and they don't want and like, compromise with us. Pass our thing, and that's not compromise. That's just giving them their way. You know, in compromise, both sides do have to give something up. So sure, you know, sure. But we
0: they had um I uh, the Democrats had both the Senate and the House at right. one time during all of that, and yet sure. they they cry foul as far as well. This happened with Bush, and the Republicans didn't do anything about that, And but they had the power to do something about what's going on, but they don't act. And so they're part of the Congress, and they dominated the Congress. We seem to go back and forth with the Republicans and, Congress and um, the Democrats dominating the Houses um, to a full extent, and then, then there'll be so, well, two, well, and just, then there's nothing just... done because we can't compromise or find a meeting. Of the minds, and then they're both stagnant, and they're both idiots. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, there are a lot of idiots on both sides of the aisle. I'll give you that. Um, but just, just as a just as a quiz, um, you know, because at the time, you know, back when, um, you know, you it's it, there's become a lot of filibustering that that has been happening recently uh, when Obama took office, and the Republicans were trying to stop. And so. There was really only really way to get anything done that Obama wanted to get done would required a majority in the House and 60 votes in the Senate. Um, do you, how long do you know how long that that took place like how many days during the first uh, two years of Obama's term that condition was true.
0: Um, well I, I believe it only had stood for maybe a year and a half before Harry Reid had changed it.
1: Well no no, no. well Harry Reid and, the, and that was after 2010, after 2010 elections between 20, um, um, between I want to say it was before Alex. before the 2012 election. So between 2011 and 2012, Harry Reid right. used a nuclear option on, on nominees uh, for judicial nominees. And I think only for higher level judicial nominees where he said that we would only need a simple majority, which I disagreed with. I thought that was a bad play on his part. Uh, There was a lot of hypocrites on both sides of the aisle on that issue, because back when um, Republicans, you know, were getting filibustered on nominees during Bush's presidency, you had Republicans saying, well, these nominees deserve an up or down vote. Uh, But when Uh President Obama was president, they filibustered and did not give the up or down vote. Same people who were saying they deserved an up or down vote. On the other side of the aisle, you had Democrats who responded to Republicans' threats of the nuclear option. Those Democrats said, the nuclear option is wrong. Do not use parliamentary tricks to get around the rules of the Senate, especially if it's based on a lie. Uh Those same Democrats went ahead and used the nuclear option uh, during the, I forget what number the Congress was, but it was between 20, the the Congress that was elected in 2010, I either took office in 2011, and then 2013, um, when the next term of Congress started. So that was that term, but that was already – the Democrats had already lost the House at that point, and the Democrats – the total number of Democrats in the Senate was reduced down to 55, including the two independents, who uh, – Bernie Sanders being one of them, and the – um I forget who the other one was at the time. Um, anyway, so uh-huh. – have, have you so so scrolled so through
0: then you the – I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm
1: sorry. So then back to – the first two years in office when the democrats did have the house so they could pass whatever bill they wanted out of the house and there was nothing that was going to be able to stop them unless enough democrats said no to it so if the democrats wanted to pass something uh they would they would pass something in the house and then it would come to the senate and then it would it would die be, until you had 60 votes now a lot of the times um people that i speak to about this issue Will say, well, Obama had a a, a supermajority in both houses for between 2009 and 2011, you know, January of 2009 to January 2011. uh, And that's just false. uh, Because when Obama took office in 2008, 2009, when he, January 2009, when he took office, uh, there was only 58 Democrats in the Senate. Uh, Arlen Specter was still a Republican. And the Al Franken election was not yet decided. There was there was some legal challenges because it was very very close. So around April, I want to say, uh, Arlen Sector at that point changed parties and he went he became a Democrat. At that point, you had 59. But even though you didn't have a seated Democrat, a seated person in that in that 100 seat, 59 was still not enough to make a 60% out of 99 out of 99 votes. So you still didn't have enough votes to overcome a veto or overcome a filibuster. It, right. it showed that Franken election didn't resolve itself until June of 2009. So at that point in time, you finally had enough votes in Congress. Now, during that time period, they managed to convince several of the Republicans, like two or three of them, to pass certain bills, but it was mm-hmm. it was very very few. Um, and non, not controversial ones. I guess you know by the by any means. of, of if you're a centrist, and you're looking at, and you probably didn't think they were that controversial. Um, uh-huh. But you did have it. pretty much everyone else was trying to filibuster anything Obama did because they didn't want to. They want. They didn't want to let Obama have anything done. So in June, you had the def- Franken election, and then a couple months later, Ted Kennedy dies. So now you're back down to fifty nine seats. And it took, it didn't happen immediately. It took about a month, I think, or a month or two for Kennedy's temporary replacement to be appointed until a regular election could be held. Um, So after those couple of months, you had 60 votes again. And then I believe it was February, I think it was January or February of 2010 when Scott Brown finally was sworn in. So I went and did the count a few weeks back, and I want to say that it's about 120 total working days in the Senate. You know, after you get rid of holidays and non-working days, about 120, so less than half of a year, that Obama Uh had 60 votes in the Senate to be able to overcome any filibuster. And this, means that you get all of the Democrats to agree with you, which many times can be like herding cats. Because while the Republican Party had a very easy time convincing their members in the Senate to all vote in lockstep and filibuster for for most of the things, and it was very hard to even get one defector on any of these issues. And um, when you did, it was few and far between. With the Democrats, you have Democrats coming from kind of conservative states. At that point, you had still had Mary Landrieu from Louisiana, who was a more conservative Democrat, uh, who um, couldn't go back to her state and vote for things, certain things unless she had certain provisions in them. There were certain provisions that allowed her to vote for it. Like the only reason she voted for uh, the Affordable Care Act at the end of the day was because the Affordable Care Act included some extra funding to help Louisiana's Medicaid system out. Uh, that's basically how her vote was obtained. Um, that actually was stripped at, back out of the bill when they did the reconciliation, which at that point only needed 50 votes because reconciliation only needs 50 votes if, there's, if it's just budgetary. Um, right.
0: Well, in, in 2010, you had Susan Collins who voted against the defense authorization bill that, right. that Obama was requesting. And that was, even though she supported it, she voted against it in order to fill the tree Um by Senate Majority Leader Harry Harry Reid, so this way it wouldn't it wouldn't move,
1: the, and it
0: overcame filibustering and everything else, so it was stagnant. It just was just dead, basically. But it kept it kept the Republicans from further filibustering or um, doing anything else with it. So, but that but that did happen, and so it goes right, both but, ways as far. As
1: but but you know it, the, are used. Right, but it is, it is it is a, it, it is a it is, you know, a lot of the times I think people try and expect too much out of Obama during those first two years or or they're very, um, you know, it, it, it's just hard for people. When people say that Obama for the first two years had a supermajority of both houses and why didn't he get it done? The reason is is he didn't have 60. And because he didn't have 60, there was a lot of stuff that he couldn't get done. And on the other side of the aisle, I mean, I can look back to, many examples back when bush was president and there were democratic houses there was a democratic house or a democratic Senate, or at least the democratic senate and the democrats to to the chagrin of a lot of liberals out there were working with the president were helping him pass legislation that other liberals really didn't like just to uh, make deals with them just to get you know maybe some of their things you know passed through as well and under the idea that okay well he did win re-election so therefore he has somewhat of a mandate to do certain things, um, and so we should work with him to help some get some. We get some of our stuff passed, they get some of their stuff passed, and then and that's how government was kind of supposed to work. But then when the, when the roles were flipped, uh, there was pretty much no compromise by the Republican Party at all, uh, which I found to be rather unfortunate. Uh, in
0: that. I did too, except for the fact that you've got to have a president, though, that reaches out. I mean, right off the bat, he had um, a dinner that was just for Democrat leaders and excluded the Republicans. And we got to, I won, so remember that type of thing. And so you, you started to become bitter after a while as far as, yes, we know you've won. Okay, let's get mm-hmm. to work now. It's over. The election's over, and let's get to work. But...
1: But I mean, but they never let that. Uh, honestly, though, they never let that happen. Even before Obama took office, the Republicans all got together and met and said, "We're going to say no to every every single darn thing that he wants to push." So, and and then when, you know, when, when, you know, I do remember other times when Obama basically said, "You you are you are more than welcome to come to the table," and then the Republicans basically made it seem like, "Well, if we come to the table, we're only coming over to the table to." to to mess it up, to, to throw to break all of the all of the fine china or whatever, to use an I mean, analogy. That John Boehner had the ended
0: china. up. John Boehner ended up with egg on his face because he had given the president what he wanted uh, when they were discussing the. Um, oh. Goodness. I don't
1: remember that. I don't remember John Boehner giving Obama anything, so I would love to know what you're what talking about. He had agreed,
0: but... they, were, they were negotiating oh, sequestration. They were negotiating the sequestration okay. and whether or not they were going to go through with that or not. And right. so we had avoided it at one point, and, and then it ended up happening. But um, during the time, the first time when it was avoided, it was because John Boehner had given the president what he avoided, and it was under the guise of. Obama giving in as well, it was supposed to be a compromise type deal, and then the president had changed his mind at the last minute, and so Boehner had to answer up as to to why he had conceded what he had given the president. And so I thought that was, see, that, now that that was wrong that, for the president to do that and change well, his mind at the last minute.
1: Well, I do remember that, and and I remember part of that discussion, though, had to do with the George Bush tax cuts. And the Republicans weren't going to do anything on any anything regarding the budget um, unless they got an extension of the George Bush tax cuts. And much of the chagrin of liberals, uh, Obama, you know, did give the entirety of the George Bush tax cuts, including the tax cuts for the rich, richest Americans in, that were in that bill, uh, just a blanket two-year extension. And a lot of the liberals uh-huh. were like, come on, really? And then the next deal that was made, um, uh-huh. it was it, – it, you know, the, Obama wanted, for example, to, to it only be up to $200,000 of annual income or $250,000 for married couples. Uh, but the Republicans wanted more of it, so Obama compromised with that and got it up to about $450,000, so between four and four hundred fifty dollars uh, for it to be there. So it kept some of the higher income tax levels um, still remain for that. So, so Obama did... You know, did you know compromise on that issue, and and, and oh. there were liberals that were upset about that. Just as I'm sure there were Republicans who were upset that the, you know, or conservatives that were upset the Republicans allowed the tax cuts for the people above 400,000. You know, and and in politics, you wind up giving up stuff. I mean, that's that's what's supposed to. Happen? Yeah, it's a and, give and
0: take thing. Sure, sure, that's
1: and, how it and, and work.
0: You know. <laughs> it
1: just hasn't been working like that for the past years, and and I know. You know, and and uh, uh, if I'm more liberal leaning and you're more conservative Mm -hmm. leaning, we're likely to see issues, you know, on that sort of way. And I would hope that at least that we would be able to, you know, point out maybe when you know our people do wrong and or the people that we support do wrong, and then the uh, people that the that the other guy when the other guys actually do the right thing and give credit for. Um, Yeah, yeah. Like I, I like to use. Um, not that this is related to necessarily the topic, but you know, just kind of an example of of when I try and you know, I'll let's see. Back in 2012, in the 2012 elections, um, you know, I'm not a big fan of Rick Santorum at all. Uh, I think he's far too to the right, especially you know socially conservative. Um, uh-huh. I think some of his things are are kind of dangerous. But there was a um, there was. A quote that rick santorum had made that basically said if you want to send somebody up there to fight obamacare then mitt romney is the worst candidate or is the worst republican to send to washington or is the worst or is the worst republican to to, to achieve that goal and mm-hmm. there's a new york times reporter that came out and in an interview and interviewed him and said do you really believe that mitt romney is the worst republican <laughs> And I could see the look on his on on Santorum's face, and you know I don't agree with Santorum, but I'm also not going to sit there and, and let them. You know, I'll, I'll I backed up Santorum in that point where Santorum clearly did not say that, because he was clearly uh-huh. saying, and in reality, it probably was not actually a valid point because Mitt Romney implemented. Have uh, pretty much the same ideas in Massachusetts, in Massachusetts. as governor. Yeah. Then mm-hmm. how is he going to be an effective person to overturn the Affordable Care Act if that's what you want to have done? So Rick Santorum right. was, correct, but the New York Times reporter in that case was very dishonest. And I said, look, you know, that's that's wrong, and you should not do that. Um, I think Rachel Maddow at one point um, was criticizing her or. or or acting, or wondering when Rick Santorum would, quote, drop out of the race, either because of lack of funding or when his, you know, maybe there was, she didn't see a, a path to victory for him. And mm-hmm. I was like, I basically responded to her on Twitter. And I was like, well, we'll drop out, I'm assuming, whenever he darn well pleases. Because, you know, it's up to him to decide that. I mean, yeah, you, you might pontificate as to why somebody is still in a race who you don't think is doing well or who is, quote, underfunded, but, you know, I think one of the things that this election is proving is maybe maybe the needed 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 funding or having the requirement to have funding is is not as much as it maybe used to be because um, even though Donald Trump has a billionaire, he spent a fraction of the money that Jeb Bush spent in New Hampshire. I think right. the quote was I think Trump was quoted today saying that Jeb Bush spent thirty six million dollars in New Hampshire. And for that he uh-huh. got eleven percent of the vote and only three delegates. Meanwhile, Donald Trump, who spent I don't know if he even spent a million dollars in New Hampshire, and he oh. got thirty five percent of the vote for ten delegates. So right. you know, so money in that point really, you know, it there was not a good spending of money on Bush's part, and there's not a good spending and there was very good spending on Trump's part. Now Trump has Trump has great name recognition, so he might not need as much money. Uh, but even Kasich, I don't think Kasich spent anywhere near what Bush spent, and he's still got more. He's got still got more votes than, than Bush did as, as well. So yes,
0: I, it goes and sure. well, we to the
1: point. I'm hoping we get to the point where where the money isn't necessarily needed, and it shouldn't be because we have the internet. We have you know, you can make a very cheap website that can take a lot of you traffic. Can be
0: effective. Yeah, you can be effective without dropping all kinds of cash, and it goes to show that you're responsible with money, so you might be more appealing to voters because you're not so carefree and just spending millions and millions of dollars throwing them away when you can use other effective ways of reaching out to people.
1: Well, here's the question, though, that that I was thinking of bringing up uh, as it pertains to Jeb Bush. Um, Now, Jeb Bush... I mean, he has a war chest. He he, he he probably still has plenty more money to spend. Um, I don't expect him to be pulling out any time in the near future, even if he loses South Carolina or doesn't come in a reasonable positioning in South Carolina. So uh-huh. my question, and I guess I could pose this to you or anyone else who might be listening, um, is does Ken Bush pull off what I refer to as Pulling off a Rocky Balboa in Rocky 4, you know, in Rocky 4, Rocky Balboa was fighting Ivan Drago. He was the big heavyweight. He was taller than Rocky. He was stronger than Rocky. But the tactic that Rocky used was just to just keep letting the fight go on, let the guy wear himself out, and then Rocky would be able to come back at the end um, once the opposition is tired. And then make the final blow and get and finish, finish it off just in the end. Now, you know, I'm not necessarily saying he would do that just to Trump, but at least to the rest of the field, if he can outlast the rest of the field and then pick up everybody else that that, that was there, then maybe he has a possibility to still pull off an electoral victory or in, in, the, in the Republican primaries by just outlasting every other Republican that's out there. Um, do you?
0: I think it would be a happening? combination. I think it would be a combination of that and the fact that uh, the establishment would be backing him if um, if it were if it got to that level, and then they would basically prop him up to right. to uh, go in for that for that last kill, I guess you could say. <laughs> so, but well, um,
1: if it was Trump or Cruz or Jeb. Bush I'm thinking that the establishment absolutely goes with jeb, with jeb bush and and keeps pushing for him and
0: right. I I don't know for, if he can last
1: that long i, I don't know at some have, point there's no path.
0: I'm thinking he can't really get his get the excitement generated among his supporters, and that's where that's where he's failing right now um gosh, I don't want to sound cliche as far as what to say on the news. But watching him um, at these town hall meetings, or yeah, town hall meetings and and other debates and so forth, it's almost as though he knows what he's doing, but he's lost because he hasn't caught up with where elections are today and how to speak to the people today, uh, millennials. And so he almost seems a little prehistoric in that sense, and 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 a little bit nerdy. And there's nothing wrong with being nerdy. I'm a nerd. <laughs>
1: I'm a nurse, so that's good. Nurse
0: rule. There you go.
1: <laughs> but
0: uh, gosh, I, I'm finding it hard, difficult to put it into words. But yeah, the, the excitement isn't there um, amongst Well, I I'm
1: sure you saw that. I'm sure you saw that town hall, that, that little forum that he had when he was when he was talking about what needed to happen. I think with ISIS, and he paused, and then he's like, "Y'all can clap now," and they then started clapping and. When you have to tell your audience that you have to clap now, that's a problem.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, I agree. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, I think that people might just be tired now of of the, the Bush legacy, and, you know, he may have some, some good points, but it's not enough to carry him through the election and, and consider him the and, nominee. And, I and I, you're
1: probably gone. right. I, I just think I just think it's because he has that much money. Could it be possible that he could outlast every other candidate and be the second guy left standing left to face the the Trump, the Ivan Drago of the Republican Party? Um,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, it, I mean, against Trump, I think it was we got there. It was just the two. I, I think Trump would actually take him just because people would have to decide between. Uh, sleepy days, or
1: uh-huh. somebody
0: actually taking some action, doing something, uh, whether or not well, they Well, and actually, a lot, a lot of
1: the, the times, in a, in a lot of the forums that I watched of the Republican uh, forums or town halls or whatever, you know, to me, Jeb Bush has actually seemed of the group up there the most presidential in in in, in saying that he was the most, like, at least before the last one, he was the calmest. He was the most, you know. He he seemed to be just very, I guess, well behaved and, and 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 not that I want another Bush presidency. And I think I think Trump's line from today, you know, saying we don't need another Bush in the White House. Uh, I mean, I think that. I mean, he's quoting when he says that he's actually quoting Jeb Bush's mom from back in the day, who said we don't need another Bush in the White House.
0: So, right. Right
1: so when on that
0: on that note when you, as far when you, as you can the, quote your opponent's
1: mother in saying that they don't need another Bush in the White House. There's a problem there, so.
0: <laughs> well, he's got his poor mother out in the snow with her walker
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> campaigning for her. I mean, <laughs> oh my goodness that's that's reaching,
1: yeah. So then, on the Democrat side, I mean, I don't have as much to say about the Democratic side as what's going on when it comes to, you know, who's going to win. I mean, I think, I mean, even with the New Hampshire victory, I mean, it's still Hillary to lose because Hillary has all the superdelegates lined up already. And I guess that's one of the things if Bernie Sanders screwed up is that, you know, a lot of this, I know a lot of senator supporters who are looking at what happened in New Hampshire and looking at the delegate counts and saying what the hell's going on he tied hillary in, in in Iowa he beat hillary in New Hampshire and hillary still has more delegates and you know they they they've now they're now looking into this system of what's going on and are saying well what the hell is this and why you know this is unfair like well well you know bernie sanders entered the race later than hillary did uh, but bernie sanders wanted to run for president he should have started running earlier And he should have started trying to gather up all of the superdelegates that he could before Hillary got to him. And, you know, all of the Sanders supporters who don't like the fact, you know, that there are these superdelegates who could sway the election. Well, you know, maybe you should have thought of that beforehand and and tried to change the rules beforehand. But it's kind of like, you know, you know, we're, we're playing a game of Monopoly and you complain that rolling three doubles gets you in jail. Well, that's one of the rules. That we're playing by. If you didn't want to, if you wanted to house rule it and wanted to say, okay, well, three doubles doesn't put you in jail, then we should have you should have d- negotiated that beforehand. You know, you don't start mm-hmm. playing a game and then argue that you're playing by the game by the rules.
0: So you want to change the rules, right? Right.
1: Yeah, you don't change. You can't change the rules midstream. Um, well, I guess unless you use the nuclear option, which is what sort of I the think
0: why. I think that uh, the people that ended up. The delegates that had sided with Hillary, I think they may have also realized that um what Bernie Sanders is campaigning on isn't isn't realistic as far as achievable, especially well, in a four year term
1: and there are there are that, that's a legitimate point i I agree with that i i mean <clears throat> I don't think that either Hillary or Sanders is going to be able to get enough votes in the House, let alone the Senate to pass any meaningful improvements to Obamacare. Um, One that I think is needed is the one that was created by the Supreme Court ruling that said that states were not required to accept Medicaid or the Medicaid expansion. And when the states didn't do that, or states that didn't accept the Medicaid expansion basically wound up because of how the law is written with people who make too much money for Medicaid but not enough money to actually get a subsidy to help them pay for their premiums. So you have people in that middle who are stuck paying full price for those premiums because they don't qualify for the for the they don't qualify for those subsidies. And that's an unintended consequence of the ruling that took place. And it would be easily fixed. I mean, it would be sure. easy could fix it by saying, you know, okay, well let's change the wording to allow anybody who makes too much money for Medicaid in the state, wherever that state threshold is. You then allow them to get a subsidy, and if that was the well, case, then, then you would have more people probably getting insured. Um, but the problem is is that you can't get that passed. I don't think you'd even be able to get that passed um, unless you had 60 votes in the Senate and a majority in the House, because um, unless you basically only based, unless, you, unless you were able to finagle it into a funding bill. If you were able to finagle, finagle into a funding bill then you could do it with reconciliation. But I still don't think the Democrats are going to get a majority in the House either, uh, because of the yeah. difficulties they'll have overcoming uh, the the gerrymandering that took place in twenty ten.
0: And originally so, originally in the health care bill before the court Supreme Court had told them that they needed to change it needed to be changed, um there was not going to be any funding to the states that opted out of the um the Obamacare uh, thing that they Mm -hmm. had as far as. And so they said, well, you can't do that. (laughs) And so they ended up finagling a way that, like you said, ended up putting a lot of people in the middle, and and that was unfortunate. But the Obamacare bill or ACA bill itself, in order for it to function correctly, um, required all the states participate and when right. there had to be an because option of opting out it fell apart
1: right and, and that, that was yeah. part of the problem that now every state could have still fixed that by opting in uh, but that didn't happen you still have a lot of okay, have states that did opt out and 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 i think we're seeing a lot of the states that are having problems are the states that opted out and we have a lot of states that didn't have that did that opted in um are having i guess less problems with it so um but it becomes, yeah, they had uh, set
0: up their own exchange and, and meet certain criteria and they found they had more problems doing that than they would have mm. if they just would have opted in. And right. so they almost created their own problems within their states because of opting out, which is unfortunate. Well
1: Louisiana Louisiana opted out of the Medicaid expansion but also did not create their own exchange and as such what like when I so when I was unemployed for a few months and I went and got health care uh through the through the healthcare.gov I had to go through the main website and not through Louisiana Exchange. So it would have been so, what what would have been so much better and I discussed this last yeah. week too. It would have been so much better if we had the HR um thirty two hundred mechanism <laughs> which which enabled um the HR thirty two hundred mechanism which allowed for um you just paid for it in your taxes and then you just got in a public option. You know, I don't know if that was a medic if that was basically allowed you to buy into Medicare or Medicaid or what have you, but it at least gave you the opportunity to just pay it through your taxes. There was no additional website that had to be built. You just got onto this basic public option plan if you planned, if you chose to do so, and you paid for it via your taxes. And I think that uh-huh. would have been a more efficient way to have that done. But there was so much fear monitoring that went on over HR 3200. Uh, That it was really it was it it became became so poison that you could not pass it You had to go with an alternative bill, which unfortunately gave us what the one we have which was not as Good as HR 3200 was Um, But you know again fear fear fear-mongering scare tactics is part of the course when it comes to politics so
0: Sure, sure, but uh, the original bill itself before the changes were made to the Medicaid expansion um and the whole penalty and tax wording um that they had had to be changed in order to make it constitutional and mandate it. Even without um the original law had passed and it didn't have to go to the Supreme Court and, and this and that, I still don't think it would have worked out as planned just because there were a lot of there was gonna be more money going to be paid out than there would have been going in. And uh, we're seeing that now. I live in California, and so we're actually one of the states that opted in. <laughs> right. And uh, and so we, as far as using the insurance, I can't I use my insurance per se until I meet my deductible, and my deductible right. is like $4,500. <laughs> and so in the meantime, you know, I'm just paying, 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 and, and I don't get sick, you know, all that often if right. at all really. so so that money I know is going to people that di- that are getting sick and that's fine too. But again, there there are more people that need help than there are people paying paying in and so there's gotta well, be a different things,
1: way. One of the things, to de- you know, well, to help people. one of the things that I found interesting in, in this in the in the debate over the health care law um was the fact that um you know before this before the healthcare law took place you know you had a lot of conservative people who were pushing for the idea that of low premium high deductible type plans where these were the preferable type of plans because it enabled it enables the people uh to have direct say in their in their healthcare and it because they're paying more of it up front uh people are going to actually look at the care that takes that's taking place uh to, in, to them and their family, and they're going to be careful about it, and then you won't be spending as much money on health care because you, you're going you're to be feeling it more at the front at the front end, and that you basically uh-huh. are having these plans will help you. In an emergency, it'll have a cutoff switch where it said, okay, well, you paid this much. Now you're not going to pay any more. Um, and I actually uh-huh. had one of those types of plans, and it worked well for me and my family and our needs um, uh-huh. because I don't, get, I don't get sick very often um, for being a large guy. And you know, I always shock the nurses when I give them blood pressure because they're expecting me to basically say gravy in my in my veins, <laughs> I think. And it's not. Um, but but the uh, uh, what can we call it the you know my, my wife had had a deal where she had a copayment assistance plan with one of her prescriptions that was very expensive, but they basically paid all of her copay for, or all of her deductible except for ten bucks in Janu- on January second. And so my wife's deductible will be met at the second of the year after only paying 10 bucks because of the cocaine and the plan. So we, wow, wound up doing very, we wound up doing very well on that sort of plan. But I mean, other people uh-huh. also wound up doing well on, you know, when it came to you know, at my work at the time, there was, they offered three plans. And um, the differences between the three plans, like one of them was a Cadillac plan, that actually the premiums that you paid for that Cadillac plan were more than the over, the maximum out of pocket the bronze plan, and so that was ridiculous. And then the silver plan, we figured out that if you're in a small little window between like thirteen and 1700 dollars in healthcare costs, the silver plan was the best for you. Otherwise, you went with the bronze plan because the bronze plan either you're paying so little for your premium and you don't have a lot of healthcare bills, or on the other okay. side of uh, y'all, you're, you're you're paying so much for your healthcare and it's and it's paying for itself and a lot with the max out of pocket. So, and but my point is is that you have the same people who were pushing for these types of HSA plans that people have it. Now that people have them, these high low premium, high deductible plans under the healthcare affordable care act. Now you have a lot of conservatives, the same conservatives who push these things are now saying, Oh, well, these are so bad because they're paying such high deductibles. Well, that's not what you're saying back then. So, right. so if well, people were critical of them happened- back then and now, then that's fine. If people support them then and now it's fine. But if you're, Going to jump shift based off, unless they're going to say, "Look, I was wrong back then, and I was mistaken, and my 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 previous support for these high premium or low premium high deductible plans was based off of certain assumptions that have now been proven wrong." Now, if those people said that, then that would be wonderful, and I'd accept that because your sure. people are allowed to sure. change their mind after experiencing things. You know that I, I don't sure. say you have to believe something from day one till the day you die, but you right. people do have to, you know. Kind of take a look at that, and if you're contradicting something that you said five, ten years ago, there should be a reason <laughs> why. Or especially if you're an elected uh, official.
0: I think what happened was you were right far as believing what they did before, and I think the only reason why they changed your mind now is because of the reason for the high cost, and that was because in order for you to be insured and qualify. Um, So that you weren't penal or taxed by the IRS, your insurance carrier had to meet certain criteria, and that meant you were going to have to pay for things that you didn't need. And I, I think that's why they had changed their mind. So it wasn't so much the the dollar amount. I think they were just Mm -hmm. bitter because they didn't want to pay for those. And in in either case, it would still be more money. But just because of the way they can be as part. Well, yeah, but but now it's now the money is going towards these things that we don't want. Well, what if you were never told that those things were going to those things that you didn't want and the money was still uh, high as far as the cost? You know, you wouldn't know any different, and so right. it would change your mind.
1: <laughs> right. Well, I'm not going to understand that argument to a point. Um, however, there, are, you know, one of, the, one of the arguments that I've heard about that idea oh. were like, you know, old people are having to pay for pregnancy coverage, for example. And right. and I'm like, okay, so if an old my, – my, my thinking here is this. If somebody is, let's say, 50 years old, and is, or maybe maybe 55 years old, just to be safe, and, you know, because there have been some people who give birth at 50. But let's – I know one of them. <laughs> so I've known one <laughs> of them.
0: So – forty nine,
1: and I don't plan on having any more. <laughs> right. <I'm done. laughs> so, but the but the odds of uh, the 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 co- the odds the, basically the the cost, and I'm, I'm blanking on the right word here. And I used to work for an insurance company, I should know this word. Um, but the the cost uh, to an insurer to cover a fifty five year old person, man or woman, uh, for pregnancy coverage is basically zero. So. Why do why does an insurer at that point care if a fifty five year old person has to technically cover um pregnancies because when that person's never gonna get pregnant in the first place, so the, the actuarial cost is zero, so it should add nothing to the premium.
0: Exactly. That's what I meant as far as the Republicans right. were just being big babies about it, you know, as far yeah. as the whole making a big deal out of it. But, um, yeah, well, here in California, the governor, Governor Brown just had recently had signed, and and now it's not even going to be listed as um, anything on your insurance. It's just a done deal as far as paying, covering the cost of abortions and where you would be listed, where things would be listed as far as uh, you're covered for this, you're covered for that, it's going to cost this for that and this for that. Um, It's not even listed. It's just done. And I I wasn't very happy about that. I, I, You know, I'm, as far as abortions go, if that's what you want to do, knock yourself out, you have your reasons, it's, it's your thing. I don't have to like right. it. It's your thing, you know. <laughs> but uh-huh. um, as far as just making everybody in the state of California, whether they want to or not, pay for that. I just, I was not happy about that. <laughs> I would at least like the options. So okay. if, if um, I were I, to support the right for somebody to do that, then I would just mm-hmm. check the box. Say, all right, we'll go ahead and put those pennies towards that. Then that's, you know, to help these people out or whatever. But yeah, we're the option.
1: I, I guess, so, yeah. I guess, I guess my my I guess counterpoint to that would be um, there are a lot of things that are done by government that I guess people don't like it that they're spending on it. You know, I'm sure there are there are you know pacifists or non-interventionists on the right and the left who probably hate that we pay for, you know, military actions or whatever. There are there are people on the left who hate our aid to Israel. There are probably people on the right who hate any aid that we give to uh, a Muslim country or, or any aid to any country or whatever if you're a libertarian right-wing person. So so it's kind of hard to for me to say, okay, well, you know, well, if, if we have to pay for things that we don't like, then why do other people get to get out of things that they don't like? and You know, I understand that there are people who individually are morally opposed to abortion, and that's their right to be morally opposed to abortion, I have one, but it doesn't necessarily, Mm -hmm. I I, I don't necessarily believe that it, you know. um, Now, when it comes to abortions in California, is it covering all of them, or, like, before that happened, before it it had, uh, like, I'm assuming right now it's it's all abortions that are being covered and not just um, medically necessary ones? Was
0: uh-huh.
1: oh. were, am I right? I mean, were, were medically ne- were medically necessary abortions covered previously, and now it's all abortions, or what, what? What did it go from? Was it like no abortions to medically necessary ones? Was it medically necessary ones to to abortions so by just, choice? It was just around. It was
0: just all inclusive.
1: Okay, so all abortions would be covered under the under this new plan. It just wouldn't be listed as to how much you're paying towards that. Okay. So I mean right, right. At the end it would be itemized. You know, abortion is, is, is you know, is legal in this country and and I understand that there's there's a you know, you have issues like the Hyde Amendment. Like it's one of the things that that I question, you know, if Bernie Sanders were elected president and let's say he got close to getting all the enough legislators to who to agree with him to pass the legislation that he wants to get passed. Um would he need to use the Hyde Amendment to do that? I.e., would he would he then have to say, well, no abort, no funds can go to abortion in order to get enough votes passed, or would he ha- well could he exclude the Hyde Amendment from that? Um, it's it's a it's, it's a question that, that should be asked, and if it's and and you know for people that are pro life, you'd probably want the Hyde Amendment to be passed if Medicare for All was passed because that that would actually reduce access to abortions or at least reduce available funds for abortions because then no private there would be no private plans available that would cover them, and the only insurer that you would have would be the public one, and the public one wouldn't cover abortions, at least abortions uh-huh. by choice. So you have a net result of – it's one of those sneaky things that um, um, Bobby Jindal, um, like – our former governor here in Louisiana, who you know dropped out of the race early on for president, uh-huh. uh, he at some point during the early on in this campaign said stated up to support to make oral contraceptives over the counter, to make uh-huh. all oral contraceptives over the counter, not just the morning after pill, but you know just the regular birth control as well. And sure. And so what that winds up doing is it means that because it's over the counter. It's no longer covered by insurance, and as such, it has to be paid for out of pocket, which means that it's going to be more expensive, which means that less people are going to have access to it. So you have a net effect of having less people taking the oral contraceptives, and that's the desired goal. So a lot of people think, well, it might increase. It. people might take it, oh, he's increasing access to oral contraceptives by making it available on the counter, when in reality – he's making it harder to get because they're becoming more expensive because they no longer will be covered by insurance because they won't be prescribed by a, a doctor anymore. Mm-hmm. Which is um which is which you, you know one of those weird things in politics that you know and, and I was happy that I wasn't the only one that caught that because when he came out with it, that's the first thing I thought because like of like all of the people living in Louisiana I'm probably one of the top five people that knows with knowledge about Bobby Jindal um, because I ran against him in the past in 2004 and I got no help from the Democratic Party because at the time I was a registered Democrat and I got no help from the Democratic Party whatsoever in that race. I had to do everything myself and so I basically I had to I had to become a aficionado on the guy and then I helped another guy who ran in 2006 and I, I helped run his campaign so I had to learn even more information about him. So I'm just a wealth of knowledge. I'm probably the top five in the state. I should, I should write a book. Not that since he dropped out of the race, I don't know how many people would buy it anymore. But, I mean, I, I, should, I should at least have it planned just in case he plans to run for anything again. Um, but um, I don't know. It's, it's, I know the guy, and, I, and, and as soon as I read it, I knew exactly what, why he did what he said, he what, why he did it. And it wasn't uh-huh. to help women out, as, as some of the initial uh commenters were like whoa that's kind of progressive by bobby and i was like no it's not (laughs) it's actually to hurt it's actually to hurt more than it is to help so let me go ahead and take a a
0: position note on that i'm sorry go ahead
1: (laughs) i'm going to go ahead and take a quick commercial break real quick i need to take a little sip of uh drink um and we've been going for about a full hour now which is pretty good um i do want to (laughs) come back and i i do want to talk about the uber lawsuit that's going on i don't know if you're interested in that or not um if you are, if you want to hear about it and chime in, I'd be more than happy to have you listen um, and join and chime in. Otherwise, you know, thank you very much for calling in. And you're more than welcome to call back. You know, you're, you're somebody who will discuss the issues reasonably and, and, you know, not, you know, be ugly with people. That's the kind of people I want calling this show left or right. So I do want to thank you for that. I'm going to put you on hold for a second. If you want to stay on, you're more than welcome to. And Anybody else, you know, you want to call in, it's 347-838-8368. It's 347-838-8368. When we come back from the break, I will be talking about the Uber lawsuit that's going on in New Orleans and taking your calls as well. This is Liberal Dan Radio. Talk to the left. That's right. So check out BudgetEars.com or go to YouTube.com slash BudgetEars and help make your trip the best it can be. BudgetEars.com is not a travel agency, and it is not affiliated with the Disney Corporation or any of its holdings.
0: I am sick and tired of the propaganda in today's media. You know, we can't have a sane discussion about politics. Well, yes, you can, and it's on ROJS Radio Live with the girls, Monica R.W., and on a I'm there every week when they discuss Michigan and national politics, job search, unemployment, and more from an independent, left, sanity-based point of view. So, tune in, OJS Radio Live, Saturdays and Sundays at 11 a.m. sharp here on the Blog Talk Radio Network.
1: And welcome back to Little Dane Radio, Talk to the Left, that's right. This is your host, James Zimmerman, coming from New Orleans, Louisiana. To join the conversation, it's area code 347-838-8368. That is area code 347-838-8368. You can also join us in the chat room as well. We had a great conversation with Betty uh, from California about a lot of the issues. And I did forget to bring up one thing in the presidential election that I did not want to get to, and that was something that... Uh, I think it was something he was either said on Chris Matthews today by one of the guests, or it was actually said by Chris Matthews, um, which was that uh, maybe Donald Trump might have a problem in South Carolina because uh, people are going to bring up his three marriages. And because South Carolina has a lot of evangelical or born-again Christian voters, that they may be people who would reject a candidate who had three marriages. Well, how short you forget? You know, how quickly people forget, I guess. Well, who won in 2012 in South Carolina? The South Carolina Republican primary was won by none other than Newt Gingrich. Newt Gingrich also had three wives. Hmm. Uh, Newt Gingrich, I think, even cheated on one of them, just like... Trump uh, cheated on, I think, Ivana with Marla Maples, who then I think he married Marla Maples for a little bit before he divorced Marla Maples and then got with the, uh, I don't even remember. I don't know all of the names. I'm not that up on on, on Trump's, Trump's. Uh, would it be really bad to call them Trump's rumps? I don't know. Uh, the people with whom Donald Trump has married. Um, I haven't. I'm I'm, I'm thinking. I know. I you know Ivana. I know Marla. I want to say the daughter's name is Ivanka, but I don't remember. I don't remember. So um, anyway, so that's the point I wanted to make about South Carolina is that if they care about if they cared about people being married multiple times, Newt Gingrich would not have run the South Carolina primary in 2012. So that doesn't make sense. Anyway. (coughs) about 20 minutes or so, maybe 18 minutes left in, in the show that I planned. And I did want to discuss Uber and the lawsuit that's going on in New Orleans uh, currently. Um, I did mention it briefly on a previous show because at the time, I believed that the previous Friday would be the lawsuit uh, and we would have the hearing and we'd have more answers on it at this point in time. That's why I wanted to cover it on the show today. But uh, what happened was, Uh, not they didn't get around to serving everybody uh with their uh subpoenas to show up at court so because they didn't get around to show serving everybody uh, they postponed it to later on in the month so i will try and see later in the month i will try and, and go to that hearing as well to try and find out what's going on see the arguments that are made uh by the people on both sides and at that point uh you know, report back and see what's going on. But I did want to have a discussion about it. Now, I do um, on my personal site. I know I have a link to it on my personal site on Um I do have a link to sign up to be an Uber driver uh, because I am currently an Uber driver. I and I this weekend was Mardi Gras. And let me tell you, I made bank over the weekend. Mardi Gras was very, very good to me. And during Mardi Gras, I also I, I spoke to a lot of my riders about this very issue, what they thought about the lawsuit, what they felt, did they think that the cab drivers had a, had, a, had a reasonable argument? Now these are people who are obviously using Uber, so they like Uber, um, and or at least some of them it was their first time trying it, and and I don't know if some of them will continue after they were sticker shocked. I mean, if you're riding Uber for your first time and your first ride is a, is a ride that's surging for 6.9 percent, uh, or not 6.9 times. I'm sorry, um, you're gonna get sticker shocking in the day, and you might not use it again. It's it's kind of shocking to see that initial oh my goodness amount of money. I mean, I had several trips. My my actually my biggest trip, Hammond, Louisiana, is an hour drive from uh, downtown New Orleans, from from the CBD. And I actually got somebody, it was surging like four times, 4.5 times, 4.3 times. And it was surging at that point. And I picked the people up and they'd say, we want to go to Hammond. And I said, even though I would have an hour back without getting any rides, I said, sure, let's go to Hammond. That was a gross fare of $300 of which I get. I was just under 300 so I got just under 240 for it. Which I mean, after I had to fill up for tank, I still averaged a hundred dollars an hour just for those two hours on the road. That's pretty darn good, and I even did better. I compared to the people on the on the road, the, the um, top drivers uh, in the city of New Orleans over this past week uh, averaged fifty dollars an hour in gross fares. I averaged when I was on on in on the road. $88 an hour in gross fare. So I was doing pretty well for myself. Now, but I talked to these people. I would talk to the cab drivers and they would, you know, or I mean, I talked to the people about the cab driver's lawsuit and people would tell me things like I was out in Kenner, which is, you know, further. I had to drive somebody out there. I got another ride request to go back, drive people back. And they would tell me things like they had friends who were drunk downtown who wanted to get home to Metairie which is you know maybe about 15 20 minutes depending on where in Metairie and cab drivers in this in the in New Orleans proper would say no I'm not taking you to Metairie well if you are rejecting customers then that's not us taking away market share from you guys I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Let's go to the lawsuit first. Let's go to the petition. The petition is pretty long. Um, It has several, uh, well, it's like 20 something pages. And uh, let's see, petition based upon unfair trade practices, request for class certification, and request for injunctive relief. So they've named a bunch of Uber drivers, people who drove for UberX and these people who, under Louisiana, you have several classes of license. Class E is a regular personal license. Class D is a chauffeur's license. And they're basically suing people who did not have a chauffeur's license because they are under the belief that you need to have a chauffeur's license to operate a taxi cab in the state of Louisiana. Um, So basically they're trying to say, That these people are operating a for hire taxi business. Um, They're operating a uh, for hire taxi business and they're doing so in an unfair way. So, um, and they go over the types of licenses that you could have, they could go over what, you know, the punishment that you could have if you're not, don't have the proper license. Um, and there's basically saying, Um the dates that these transgressions or these alleged transgressions took place um they list each person, and you know at the time this person only had a class E, and they are engaging in of quote the transportation of passengers for hire or fee and operating a motor vehicle in commerce to transport passengers trying to say that they are required to have a class D license and I don't know if they have a I can't I can't tell you off the top of my head, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know if they are required to have a Class D license or not. I can't answer that question. What I can answer is what is reasonable. Now, when I drive for Uber in Louisiana, Uber will cover me with their insurance policies. They have an insurer that covers drivers in Orleans Parish or who, whose trips start in Orleans Parish or wherever. If you're driving in uh, Louisiana uh, at all, you are covered as a Uber will cover you as a primary insurer if you have a passenger in your car, so most insurance policies do not take effect if you're operating like a taxi or like uh for hire passenger or what have you so um, I don't think that this insurer would want to cover people who were not properly insured, and I don't think Uber want to expose itself. To a lawsuit because they claimed that this um, that this insurance would be available and it wasn't and as such if an accident happened then you would be they would be SOL and they would open themselves for some legal liability there or some uh, civil lawsuits or through arbitration I guess or what have you so I don't think I think that Uber is a big enough of a company. That it that it would have uh, checked whether and what type of driver's license would be needed to adequately fulfill the needs of the insurer who is insuring the people that are driving around a, a person who are, who requested a ride via the Uber Rider app. So it makes sense to me that I would think that it's reasonable to suggest that you would only need a Class D license. Because if you didn't, if you couldn't use a Class D license, then I would think that Uber would have found that out and would have said, oh, you need a Class D license to operate for Uber, at which point I probably would have said, looked into it. If it wasn't too expensive, I'd say, okay, I'm going to get a Class D license. If that wasn't the case, then I would say, okay, I'll operate with a Class D license. So I'm under, I think I'm reasonable in, in assuming that it's. I'm okay with a Class D license. I don't think they have a case. And, that, and based off of that idea, I don't think they have a case. I don't think they have a case anyway. So as I was saying before, they're trying to claim that against the named defendants and all other similarly situated um, who are members of the class, i.e., all Uber X drivers operating in the metropolitan New Orleans area who, and whom do not end or did not possess a validly issued Louisiana Class D license or a CDL, which encompasses Class D privileges as supposedly required by Louisiana law at any time period from April 16th to the present. So currently, if I were to get a Class B license now, that wouldn't cover me because that still, according to their petition, be under the umbrella of that quote, class. Now, I don't understand how they can push, just shove me in a class. Normally, a class action suit, the way a class action suit works is you have a class of people who sue one big entity. Like if they wanted to all sue Uber, that's one thing. But these people are basically saying that you know we are because the city of New Orleans allows us to drive in a certain way that we're operating on, in, in an unfair way, and that we're taking money. Actually, the lawsuit actually says at some point that we drive a certain way specifically to take um, money away from or, or or market share away from taxi drivers. And my response to that, which is actually. Several of my riders who heard that were amused. They're like, Yeah, I'm sure that Daniel wakes up in the in, in the morning and thinks to himself, How can I screw over a cab driver today? Let me go take his market share. No, I drive for Uber because I see an opportunity to make a little extra money on the side, um, in a pretty easy way. Doesn't require to sit in my car. I can drive around. I can have my cell phone turned on. I have little clamps that put my cell phone on, so I don't have to touch it. I can be hands free. I push if somebody, somebody requests a ride. I push a button. I go to the place where they requested the ride from. I pick them up. I drop them off. I offer them water. I give them a cell phone charge and that's it. Now, that's part of it. I don't. I don't know if any taxi driver that will give you a free bottle of water. I don't know of any taxi driver that'll give you a cell phone charge now. That's not to say that all Uber drivers do these things, but I am one of the people who I think, produce, you know, I do those things. They're best practices, in my opinion, and I try and give the best services possible uh, to uh, my riders. Um, so I will do those things. I, I've got extra USB cables, micro USB cables, extra lightning cables, to make sure that they have the right adapters and everything like that. So, and these customers who are, asking for rides via the Uber app, want these things. And they want to be able to go places like Metairie, to Hammond, to the airport from a particular place while it's busy downtown. These cab drivers, some of them won't even go uptown, between downtown and, and Tulane. And that's where I was making bank over the weekend, just taking people uptown, downtown, uptown, downtown, uptown, downtown. So, and we also cannot just pick up somebody in the quarter. We cannot just uh, drive by somebody and say, hey, I'm an Uber, I'll pick you up, I'll take you in. They have to request it via the app. If they So uh, taxi drivers are, are free to do that, where we're not. So we can't take that market. Taxi drivers in New Orleans are the only ones that can pick up from the airport. Actually, an Uber, X, Uber XL, no, Uber Black can pick up from New Orleans Airport as well. And those people, I believe, are required to have a Class D license. And that's fine, too. Um, But they're not suing those people. They're not suing Uber Black. So, but if they're not going to be giving rides, and if they're behaving in such a way where they're rejecting rides to METI, they're rejecting rides to Uptown, they're rejecting rides in, in a place that enables them to keep them in a certain area of town to try and maximize their own profit while driving the least amount of area, then they are purposely giving up market share. So they're claiming that we're taking their market share. But to me, they would have to prove that, A, they have actually lost money between April of 2015 and now, and, B, that the reason for the loss of the money was our entry into the market, and not because of their ineptitude, not because of their attitude, not because of their professionalism, or not because that they're not giving a service that other people give. Because I'm giving a service. I know when I'm giving an Uber drive that I'm giving a service that is um, not what a taxi driver gives. I let them have control of the air. I let them control the XM. They can turn on any station on the XM. I let them hook my aux cable that I bought specifically for this. I on a 10-foot aux cable. I have a splitter. The XM goes into one side of the joiner, uh, the 10-foot aux cable goes to the other side of that joiner, and if they want to plug their phone and listen to their own music, I'm more than happy to let them do that as well. I know of no cab drivers that would do that. Cab drivers would probably not do that. So that's why I believe that, this, that, that it's completely different. It's a completely different situation. Now, furthermore, uh, why I think they don't include, even let's say they were able to prove all of those things. Let's say they're able to prove A, that they had a loss, and B, that that loss was solely or majority by people who were, you know, Uber drivers taking away their market share. There is a Louisiana law on regulation by municipalities or other local governing authorities of private for-hire vehicles, however propelled, providing passenger transportation services. Every municipality or the local governing authority shall protect the public health, safety, and welfare by licensing, controlling, and regulating by ordinance or resolution each private passenger for hire a vehicle, however however propelled, providing transportation services often within the jurisdiction of the municipality or other local governing authority. Every municipality or other local governing authority is empowered to regulate the following. Entry into the business of providing taxi cab passenger transportation service, including taxi cab service within the jurisdiction of that municipality, rates charged for the provision of such passenger transportation service, establishment of safety and insurance requirements, and any other requirement adopted to ensure safe and reliable passenger transport ser- transportation service, even if it's anti-competitive in effect. So if we as Uber drivers are found to have an advantage over Taxi cab drivers, because we don't have to have certain metering in our car because it's done via the app. We don't have to have certain background checks that taxi drivers have to do, even though we do have to have some background checks. That we don't have to take certain credit card company processors, even though we do have Uber who handles the credit card processing of that. All of those things that they feel give them an unfair advantage in the market, it does not matter if they don't. The state of Louisiana specifically says that they. Are, that New Orleans is allowed to do so and that we are allowed to enter that market market in an anti-competitive way. They do not have the right or the protection to have their business protected uh, in this circumstance by state government like that. And ultimately, that's why, in my opinion, they don't have a case. And I think that the Uber drivers will prevail. And Uber, to their credit, is going to be covering Uh, everybody who is named in the lawsuit. So, so far, it's not me, but if they ever do get named, I got a little fancy card in the mail saying, you might be violating the law if you're driving for Uber, whatever. But final last thing to say on the issue is that it was funny. Two of my Uber drivers, two of my Uber riders over the weekend actually said to me pretty much as soon as I got in the car, wow, you have a really nice voice. You should be on the radio. To which point I said, I do have a podcast. And they were like, wow, well, that's pretty good because we think you should be on the radio. And so I am. And that is the end of this week's episode of Liberal Dan Radio. Tune in next week at 8 p.m. Central on Wednesday uh, for more of my shining voice, according to my Uber riders. Until then, you can follow me at Twitter at Liberal Dan Radio, Facebook.com slash Liberal Dan, or at Liberal Dan.com. And until next week, Dan Dan Zimmerman with Liberal Dan Radio. Up from the left, that's right.